Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, March 30th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me today from the magazine's office near Madison Square Park in Manhattan. Welcome, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So last Friday, Andrew, you reported from Philadelphia, where you were attending the Public Library Association annual conference, and we should pick up right there and ask you, how did PLA finish up? Well, it finished pretty strong, I have to say. First off, despite the weather issues, which I know I complained about last week, the total attendance at the show was actually pretty solid, about 7,800 total attendance, which is on par with past PLAs over the last decade, though a little bit low, about 900 less than the 2012 PLA meeting in Philly, and roughly a little bit, maybe a couple hundred less than the last PLA meeting in 2016 in Denver. But when Mother Nature prevents you from getting any, much less many, on-site registration, well, that 7,800 figure, that number is going to play okay. Uh, but the rest of the program was really great. And my overall observation is that even more so than the publishing industry, the library community really gets it. You know, they really get the fundamental challenges that are now facing the future of books and reading. And you can tell that by the program and by the speakers that they have at these conferences. And what I mean by that is that the speakers for the program at this year's PLA, from the opening keynote, which featured Sally Yates, through Pews Lee Rainey, who spoke at a session in the professional program, and Tim Wu, who spoke from the big stage on Saturday, they all spoke about the new media landscape and about some of the concerning things we're seeing now, the, the erosion of trust in our institutions, the need for net neutrality, and what's going on with our data in an age where the competition for our attention is now more cutthroat than ever. It has obvious implications for our democracy, as we've seen recently with the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica story, but it also holds grave implications for the future of books and reading, and the book business, I should say, in this digital age, even if those implications are still uh, less obvious, at least at the moment, to some in the book business. Well, uh, the case for net neutrality that Tim Wu makes rings true for you there at PW. Earlier this year, an editorial called on publishers to oppose any changes in FCC policy that would eliminate it. For PW and for Tim Wu, the bottom line is freedom of speech. That's right. So Tim Wu actually spoke on two subjects at PLA on which he's written books. Uh, the first is, of course, net neutrality, which he wrote about in his 2010 book, The Master Switch. Uh, and the other was about this hunger for our attention, uh, this data-driven play to get all of our attention that he wrote about in 2016 in a book called The Attention Merchants. On uh, net neutrality, uh, Wu did not mince words. He noted that net neutrality is not some abstract theory or some partisan plot, but actually has a track record dating back to the Bush administration that, in his words, uh, had a track record that is so strong that it's hard to believe there would ever be any real opposition to it. So the question, of course, is why was there opposition to it? Well, killing net neutrality is one of those things that comes back to the idea that the free flow of information can be very threatening to those who wish to consolidate their power. Uh, and the instinct to censor, he says, remains very strong. But he said laws like net neutrality were put in place to guarantee a baseline for the free flow of information. He said that the net neutrality issue today is as important, if not more important, 
than the First Amendment in our times. I found that to be an extraordinary statement. Uh, and he implored that if we do one thing over the next few years, and let's face it, there's a lot of things we should be doing over the next few years. But if there's one thing that we must do, it's to restore our net neutrality protections and to guarantee our informational freedoms. Now, that was one of the arguments he made, uh, and an argument that we made at PW2 uh, when we called for publishers to support net neutrality. And the response that we've gotten for publishers, we did hear from a number of publishers who said bravo and they supported it, but we still have not gotten a response from the Association of American Publishers, who are policy players. You know, they're on the Hill, they're in Washington. Uh, we would really like to see them take a stance on this, but to date, they have yet to take a stance on it, even though net neutrality is clearly central to the free flow of ideas. You know, in fact, the one thing that we did hear from AAP was unfortunately an employee email to say it basically threatened to cut off our access to any AAP news. So, so much for free speech. And on the other side of the coin, Tim Wu actually spoke about this Cambridge Analytica story uh, in this Facebook mess, which was really fascinating too. And basically, Wu stressed that Today's online advertising market has all but turned these companies, these internet companies, companies that we depend on, Google and Facebook, and really any place whose app that you download onto your phone or device, into surveillance machines. And this data is now being harvested and sold and repackaged and used for, in some cases, some pretty dark purposes. How we address these concerns is going to be an inflection point, if I can use a term that Sally Yates threw out last week, uh, not only in our information future, but also in the future of our republic. So when I say librarians get it, it's because these are the kinds of talks we're having at library conferences. It's not about print versus digital. Uh, It's not about format sales. It's about the larger picture that will clearly affect the future of the book, regardless of format. When Beyond the Book returns, PW's Andrew Albanese opens the books on financial returns from some of the world's largest publishers. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, March 30th, 2018. And in Monday's issue, Andrew, your boss and PW Editorial Director Jim Milliot tallies up business results for major publishers in 2017. What's the verdict on last year? Uh, in a word, I think uh, mixed. In Monday's issue, Jim takes a look at the operating numbers for a, a number of the world's largest publishers who have substantial holdings in the United States. And what we see is that both Penguin Random House, which is, of course, the largest English language publisher, and HarperCollins had small declines in revenue compared to 2016, less than 1%. While uh, Lagardere, who, of course, owns Hachette, inched up 1.1%. Uh, and the two smallest publishers who resulted, uh, who report financial results, results, uh, Houghton Mifflin and Simon & Schuster, both actually did substantially better on both the top and bottom lines. So we'll, let's look at that flip side first. You know, Houghton Mifflin had the biggest sales gain in the year. Their revenue was up 11.4% over 2016, and the company actually managed to turn an operating loss in 2016 into a small operating profit last year, so kudos there. And perhaps most notable, the company was also one of the five companies who reported to show an increase in ebook sales. In 2016, ebook sales were down. They were 
were back up in 2017. So what drove that success? Basically two books, The Success of The Handmaid's Tale and 1984 in ebook format. And I don't know how appropriate is it that those two titles uh, would lead the way to digital success for HMH. And we've spoken quite a bit about the run that Simon & Schuster has been on. Their 8.2% revenue gain last year reflected sales increases across all four of the major operating units. But we'll point out that the audio group saw the biggest gain. Downloadable audio sales rose 39% over the last year. And that actually offset declines in ebook sales. So we actually see that Simon & Schuster had a 3.6% rise in digital sales. But most of that, in fact, all of that was attributable to the rise in digital audio. Uh, in Monday's issue, you can dive deeper into those numbers, of course. But the theme I'd say is that you know some publishers have good years. Some have not so good years, and it often depends upon the success of a few mega-selling titles. But overall, the global publishing market remains growth-challenged, something we've seen for a few years, Uh, in fact, a number of years in a row now, uh, except for one segment, and that's digital audio, which is just surging. So, Andrew, you mentioned the mega-selling titles, and the book of the year for this year had looked to be Fire and Fury, but it's getting competition right now from a couple of titles whose sales are really hopping. I'm speaking, of course, about the Bunny Book, starring Botus, otherwise known as Marlon Bundo. One is written by Vice President Mike Pence's daughter, Charlotte, and illustrated by the second lady, Karen Pence. It follows Marlon Bundo, the real-life bunny of the United States of America, over the course of a day with the Veep in Washington. Comedian John Oliver later published his own parody of the children's title, in which the bunny is gay, and now both are big bestsellers. How are they faring head-to-head? Well, head-to-head, they are actually neck-and-neck, and that's in Monday's issue, according to Nielsen BookScan. Uh, actually, the VP's uh, book has actually outsold Oliver's book very slightly, but you know, I don't expect that to stay the case for long. For one, you know, Oliver's book uh, was initially launched only on Amazon, which you can read about on PW. That has caused actually a lot of consternation among indie bookstores who are upset uh, with the way Scholastic rolled that out. But the publisher has actually gone back to press for a huge printing. A lot of those books are going to make their way into bookstores around the country. So, you know, stay tuned. The, the, the tale of two Marlon Bundos is just getting started. Well, Andrew Albanese, we know that uh, you follow the news for us from the publishing world here and beyond the book every Friday, and you'll take it wherever the story leads you, including right down a rabbit hole, as it did in this particular case. Andrew, thanks for joining us today and every Friday on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, how do publishers build a bigger, bolder, and more inclusive audience of lifelong readers? In an age where books are regularly declared dead, publishers need more than just a diverse catalog of authors and social media accounts to reach and engage those new readers. At the recent PubWest 2018 conference, Lisa Lucas, executive director of the National Book Foundation, outlined the importance of engaging and building a community of book lovers through institutional and public programming youth engagement, and marketing. In her keynote remarks, Lucas offered reassurance that anyone could be a bibliophile. Books are essential to a thriving cultural landscape. You can't do it with just movies and film and theater and dance. You have to do it with books, too. We are a part of the puzzle, and we are culturally bereft without books. Building a wider audience for readers, next on Beyond the Book. 
Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries RightsDirect and Nexus drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.